0: Welcome to episode 28 of the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, Harmony Horsemanship, Passive Leadership, and Positive Reinforcement with Lindsay Partridge. I'm excited to start the podcast for 2022 off with a bang with Lindsay Partridge of Harmony Horsemanship. Lindsay is a horse-human relationship expert and is dedicated to lifelong learning and helping others connect with their horses. She is an accomplished student, trainer, author, and competitor. She has been called Canada's Horse Whisperer by the Toronto Star and the Queen of Thoroughbreds by The Rider. Lindsay is the owner of Partridge Horse Hill, founder of Harmony Horsemanship, President of the Natural Horsemanship Association, and she's a full time registered nurse. She has been a horse wrangler for feature films, a champion at the 2015 and 2016 International Thoroughbred Makeovers, and won many awards and titles for extreme cowboy racing, jumpers, and horse training. She is an absolute superwoman. In this episode, we discuss Lindsay's start with horses from begging her parents for a pony to winning Thoroughbred Makeover competitions. Lindsay's midlife crisis, and how that helped her prioritize happiness and spending time with her own horses. Her busy life as a full-time nurse, mum, horsemanship instructor, businesswoman, and competitive rider, and she still manages to make time for other hobbies outside of horses. We talk about her journey into positive reinforcement, and we discuss all the musings around using positive and negative reinforcement, including avoiding the cookie monster, competing with positive reinforcement, and developing passive leadership. Plus, she also talks about how she has started to help others use treats with Grand Prix dressage horses, which I thought was pretty cool. We talk about how nursing and parenting has helped with Lindsay's horsemanship, choosing a suitable discipline for your horse's happiness, Lindsay's most influential mentors, finding a flexible and comfortable saddle to fit multiple horses, the experience of training horses for movies, her advice for aspiring riders, plus so much more. Lindsay believes in understanding yourself, understanding your horse, and the language that connects you as a foundation for anything you do with your horse. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a light, happy, and willing partner. I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship and equine learning theory, and now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication with your horse so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing the partnership. Get more learning resources, including my free connection and communication mini course at amaliadempsey.com. Click the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave me a rating and review or screenshot this episode and share on social media. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome Lindsay Partridge to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: To start off with, can you tell us when you got into horses and what has led to where you are today?
1: Yeah, I got into horses probably when I was about seven or eight years old, when my sister dragged me to horse camp. And I basically got hooked and signed up for weekly lessons and weekly lessons turned into part boarding and part boarding turned into me begging my parents to buy me a horse, which I got my first horse when I was 13. And uh, my parents were really, really supportive, which was awesome. And kind of just got started with the horse, horse shows and things like that. And then it wasn't until I had um, kind of my midlife crisis when I was turning 30 in 2015. And I was thinking, you know what, I've been teaching for a long time, and I haven't really done a lot for myself in a while, I want to do this thoroughbred makeover that I heard about. So that's when I bought two horses for the thoroughbred makeover and took some time for me and the horses, which I hadn't done in in a long time, and uh, focused on training for that and ended up winning the 2015 America's Most Wanted Thoroughbred and uh, getting champion in trail, getting first and second in trail and third and third and 10th in freestyle. And that kind of started um, me prioritizing the horses even more because I guess they had kind of been more of a, well, they are kind of a, a passion and a hobby, but they had taken a little bit more of a front seat. And then people were always kind of asking, you know, how do you have this success with your horses? Because, I came back in 2016 and won both trail and freestyle, and my other horse got third in field hunter and uh, trail. So really trying to think about how is it that I train my horses to have these results, these consistent results, because I had all of my horses all making the finals at the thoroughbred makeover. So it's kind of, that started everything, and from there, branched into Mustangs and more thoroughbreds and uh, everything else. Amazing, and...
0: Yeah. And now you have like a full online platform where you teach people from Mm -hmm. all around the world. Plus it sounds like you also train people in real life and horses as well in real life. Um, What an amazing life that you're living.
1: It's a, it's a busy life because I'm still a full-time registered nurse as well. So. Oh my goodness. uh, I didn't know that. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's a, it's a busy, a busy life, but a fun life for sure. And, yeah, I love traveling all over to teach people. Um, It's definitely a huge highlight. I think it's really broadened. I've learned just as much from everybody else as they've learned from me and really gotten to see how people do things differently, how they care for their horses, different um, techniques, and just learned how to work with so many different types of people. So it's been, it's been a fun, a fun ride and I'm more to come hopefully. So
0: incredible and one of the questions I had for you is if you could have any other career in the world what would it be and obviously you do nursing as well so I want you to tell us if you couldn't do nursing or teaching or training horses what would you do
1: I think when I was a kid the other job that I always wanted to do was be a dolphin trainer <laughs> so. ah, okay
0: yeah so always interested in animals
1: Yes, always interested in animals. I have my open, um, my advanced open water scuba diving license. I love to scuba dive and uh, yeah, be around animals, be in the water, be somewhere warm. I don't know why I live in Canada. It's minus 30 at home right now. So <laughs>
0: Wow. Oh my goodness. You're multi-passionate by the sound of things. You've got lots of different skills and talents in different areas. I've had no idea you're into scuba diving or you were a nurse. So there you go. <laughs>
1: I definitely like to keep busy. That's for sure. Life is short. You may as well live it, right?
0: That is so true. Can you tell us what your happiest horse memory is?
1: Probably winning my first thoroughbred makeover because it was it was a real midlife crisis for me. So it's it kind of goes a little bit deeper because I had had a miscarriage and my husband and I had been struggling to get pregnant for a while. And it was a really, really tough time for me. And I think that's why I decided to really throw myself into the horses full throttle and say, you know what, I've taken a backseat, I coach, I do all these other things, but I just kind of ride for fun. I want to compete again. And I want to have a relationship and work on a relationship with my horses again. And so that was huge for me, because it meant more than just winning the thoroughbred makeover. It was like, I matter, and I can have time with my horses. And it's okay to prioritize me having time with my horses. And even though I suffered having those miscarriages and all those losses, um, maybe it was for something. Maybe it's because it was meant to put me on this different path and turn something that was negative into a, a positive. So fast forward. Now I have two little girls. And um, so I had uh, my first little girl in 2019 and then my second girl, just this past July, I've got my two little girls now, but it was definitely a long time in the, in the waiting, but everything really kind of worked out for the best with um just how that kind of spiraled from there.
0: Yeah, wow. And so with your, what, what you, when you talk about your midlife crisis with um, the miscarriage happening at the same time as you sort of wanting to go fully into horses, what was it that actually triggered you to go, okay, something needs to change here?
1: Yeah, I think um, probably my my happiness my joy and making sure that I had a place that was kind of consistent and that was mine and taking my focus off of the other part of my life which was kind of trying to have a happy marriage and that ideal kind of family life and and having kids and getting started with that and um, my nursing job is very kind of black and white there's not really a lot of opportunity there to to step outside of the box and, and find joy in that deep, meaningful way because you're kind of scripted into the role that you have to do and you, you can't really go above and beyond and do much aside from that. And the horses have always been kind of a therapeutic, happy place. When you're with horses, you really have to be in the now. You have to be in the moment. And it's so rewarding too because you can take these horses that are scared or fearful or they don't understand and then you can see that transformation. So it really allows you to forget everything else that's going on in the world and in your life and just to be there now right in that moment and and that was definitely huge for me and uh, helped to give me a bit of a purpose a goal all those things and so it didn't really matter what else was going on in my life
0: yeah I really like that you mentioned that because I think a lot of horse professionals fall into that hole of their passion becoming their chore but it sounds like Mm -hmm. you managed to re your purpose and your satisfaction with horses, your purpose with horses. So that is pretty cool. Um, I would love to hear from you. What has been your biggest horsemanship breakthrough to date, given that the podcast is called horsemanship breakthroughs? Uh,
1: for me, it would be using positive reinforcement. And uh, for me, that took, um, it was actually, I had written a blog. I don't even remember what the blog post was about, but somebody had commented that natural horsemanship is just strategic bullying and I I like you know I I hit me in the chest and I was like what do you mean it's strategic bullying but instead of getting super defensive I really kind of reflected and thought about it and I was like you know what they're actually kind of right you're just kind of systematically adding more pressure until the horse kind of caves to do what you want and you're kind of teaching your horse that the greatest reward is you leaving them alone and all of a sudden, it kind of like clicked. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, this is why I'm struggling at Liberty. This is why when I'm in big open spaces, my horses will run away from me. Or while I'm struggling to do these Liberty Circles and all of these other things that I had spent years working on and even driving down from Canada down to Florida to work with other top professionals and try to figure stuff out. And it just wasn't working. And I do work a lot with um, thoroughbreds and kind of horses that have a lot of drive and a lot of energy and a lot of uh, work ethic. So the pressure release doesn't seem to work as well with them as, let's say, um, some other types of horses. And I think it's because for them, like literally we drove down to Florida and the strategy to try to improve my liberty circles was to just make my horse stay out on a liberty circle in the round pen until she would eventually look at me. And we, I don't know how many tens of minutes my horse was doing, I can't remember if it was trot or canter laps, But she was getting so drippy sweaty that I had to step up and say, you know what, this is not working. Like I can't, I'm not going to push my horse. She's like exhausted. She thinks this is what she's supposed to do. This isn't the right method for me. And then I kind of discovered positive reinforcement. And it made so much more sense to me. The idea of giving the horse a paycheck and trying to be the thing that your horse wants you Uh, that wants, they want to be around you. Like you are the draw. You are the reason they want to be there. Not because you've got a a whip and you're going to threaten them with pressure. It's a totally different mindset. And when I did that, uh, I did my own uh, Liberty restart with a thoroughbred where I literally used no tools other than positive reinforcements. I had no neck rope, no lead rope, no halter, no nothing, not even a round pen. I just worked with him in my big open arena and, uh, I think it took 15 sessions and we were able to ride walk trot figure eights around my arena. And that's literally using nothing, just, just, just my hands, my body and cookies as rewards, not as bribes, rewards. And then I kind of made it my mission to incorporate that into my competition training and everything else, because I think it has a bad reputation, like, oh, you can only do that if you're a pleasure rider or you're a trick trainer. It's like, no, like I actually go out and I win and I compete. And I'm an international champion with both Mustangs and thoroughbreds. And it works. You train your horse significantly faster. And I've been able to take horses off the racetrack and then go do Liberty and Bridalist on the beach in less than three months because my horses see me as the happy place. I don't really worry about them running away from me. Uh, it's a totally different mindset, totally, totally life-changing.
0: Amazing. And I think positive reinforcement is getting more recognition and more people are interested in using positive reinforcement with their horses. Um, Do you still use negative reinforcement in any way? Do you still think there's a place for that?
1: Yeah, so I'm kind of, Harmony Horsemanship is kind of a weird program that's in the middle where we use both negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement. And the reason for that is because, uh, if you want a horse to succeed in life, they need to learn regular cues. Like they need to know if you pull back on the reins, that means stop. And when you let go of the reins, then you let go. But it doesn't mean that I teach people to pull really hard on the reins and like make the horse start gaping their mouth until they come to a stop We teach them how to learn to work with the pressure. We reward them or we combine the positive reinforcement with it. And then what it means is that I can take more horses, like more thoroughbreds off the track, more Mustangs out of the wild and help find them homes because my horses understand how pressure and release works, but they're not scared of pressure and release, which I think is the big thing. Pressure isn't, pressure isn't necessarily bad um, because it can be a, a motivator. Like it's kind of like that nagging. You know, I tell people to be a nagger, like, come on, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. Are you going to clean your room, clean your room? But in that kind of playful, jesty kind of way, not like you clean your room now or you're going to get a beating. That's not where we want to go. And you have to be very careful not to hit that emotional response for sure. And I bring a lot of my um, mental health background in because the type of nursing I do, I'm a, a public health nurse, and I specialized in mental health for many, many, many years. And with that, I know a lot about positive mental health and about um, resiliency, self-regulation, emotional control, all of those things. And I apply it all to my horses. So I think you can use negative reinforcement with positive reinforcement. You just have to be very careful about your pressure and that you're not hitting those thresholds of causing um, fear or that emotional place. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. That's cool that you're balanced in the middle, you know, that you still see a place for pressure release or negative reinforcement, but you also heavily use the positive reinforcement side of things as well. What do you think are some of the common issues that um, come up with positive reinforcement?
1: Definitely the whole cookie monster thing. Everybody's so worried that their horse is going to turn into a cookie monster and they totally can turn into a cookie monster. They can definitely become a grabby bitey horse. And it really comes down to understanding how to use passive leadership, how to have those boundaries. It's the same reason why I can take my two-year-old and I can walk down a candy aisle. And if I tell her, no, you can't have that candy. She doesn't throw a tantrum and demand that she have it. And that's because she knows boundaries. And she also knows when I say, no, like you're, you're not having that. You have to earn treats and things like that. And she understands I definitely train my kids the way I train the horses. <laughs> and, uh, and it's really just comes down to those manners. And often when you look at children, I always relate in the human examples, even though horses are different from humans, sometimes it can make it a, a little bit easier to recognize the behaviors. If you look at um, a child that's really polite, who says please, who says thank you, the big thing there is consistency from the parent, parents or the guardians, whoever's kind of working with that, um, that child. Speaking of that, here's my child. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Evelyn. Hi. Hi, Evelyn. Yeah. So, um. <laughs> so consistency yeah. is is really the the key thing there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah really interesting. And you mentioned passive leadership, and I know that that's one of your key kind of. Uh, principles, I guess you could say, could you talk to us a little bit about passive leadership and what it means to you?
1: Sure. So passive leadership, um, when we look at horses, they generally have um, kind of two types of leadership, assertive or passive. Assertive would be when they're resource guarding. So that's when they're protecting a friend or themselves or food. And that's when you see horses kick and bite and be really assertive. Uh, But they don't typically... um, play dominance games like that, they're usually much more passive in their leadership. So for example, if you take two horses and you put them in a neutral space, if they've never met each other before, but they're in a neutral space, like you put them in a a sand ring or an arena or something, so there's no food to fight over, no friends to fight over, usually the horses will end up kind of moving like a school of fish. And then a leader will emerge based on who's um, setting the direction, who's setting the speed, who's swapping quadrants, things like that. So when we're working with our horses, we need to really be aware of our feet, our drive lines, our quadrants to make sure that we're positioning our ourselves such that the horse recognizes us as a leader. And sometimes people go like, it's not a leadership, it's a partnership. I'm like, well, in my world, it's a leadership because if I'm on a trail ride and I say, no, don't run away from that scary thing, I want my horse to understand, oh, okay, we don't need to run away from that scary thing because Lindsay is a good leader and we can trust her judgment so it is a it is a partnership for sure but at the end of the day I set the speed I set the direction because that's safety it's uh, safety and it really helps the horse feel a lot more secure as well and again I'll, I'll bring it back to kids just because sometimes it helps people relate a little bit more um my daughter I'm going to set the tone in terms of when are we going to cross the road because I'm looking out for that safety piece but that doesn't mean that she never gets to make choices and that she never gets to say what she enjoys or where to go. But for safety's sake, I need to maintain that upper level of that leadership role, not by smacking her, not by intimidating her, but by setting those passive leadership things and giving her choices and and kind of helping guide her in that way, that makes sense.
0: It absolutely does. And I love the way that you spoke about leadership in that sense, rather than it being something like a domination or I'm the boss of you. But um, recognizing that we are still our horses' leaders because ultimately we're making the decisions, but we're not doing it in a way that is you know creating fear or um, negative kind of emotions in the horse. So that is I, I love that. That really resonates with me. And I also wanted to ask you on this positive reinforcement note, a lot of competitive riders are like, well, that's not really going to work for me because I can't carry treats in the dressage during or whatever it might be. But you're out there competing. Can you tell us how you navigate that?
1: Yeah, I um, I use a lot of treats in the beginning with my training. And so what happens is when we're training horses, we need to develop those feel good responses because in the beginning, when you tell your horse, yes, that's awesome, and you rub their neck, they don't really release a lot of endorphins. They don't really feel that good because they don't really understand um, that happy joyous feeling with you. And when you use food, you just help trigger those hormones to release those feel good hormones. So in the beginning, you're rewarding for a whole bunch of things. So that way they understand, oh, like, this is great. This feels really good. And then what happens after several sessions is they realize that just being with you feels good and being with you is fun and you don't need to use as many treats. You don't have to use treats or other types of positive reinforcement as well, but they start to just associate you as feeling good and they just enjoy that time together. So you can do uh, less rewarding with actual food and you just kind of progress the same way that if there was um, a kid in school, in the beginning, you're going to earn a gold star for two plus two. But by the time you get to grade four or five, you're definitely not getting a gold star for two plus two, you need to work a lot harder for that gold star. And it's similar with our horses. So when I get to the competition ring, my horses aren't expecting a cookie after every single obstacle. They'll get one usually at the end, they'll sneak one in depending on the class if I'm allowed to before I go. But we'll definitely use food because it's very, very fast and very, very easy. But I, I do work with um, some Grand Prix level riders. I work pretty closely with um, a dressage Olympian, Belinda Tressel. We swap sessions with each other and she uses um, the sugar cubes in her sessions with her horse because they dissolve in the horse's mouth. So there are ways to kind of work with it. Even if you have a bit and a flash nose band, you can use food if you want to. And it's just the, it's the fastest way to train and get those emotions. You can do it other ways, but it just just takes longer
0: yeah I think that is really cool that you're working with a Grand Prix rider because I can't imagine too many dressage riders being open to positive reinforcement so that's cool and what I also like is your parenting analogies it sounds like your horsemanship journey has helped your parenting and maybe your parenting has helped your horsemanship as well I don't have any kids yet but I often reflect on even when I'm teaching I think oh I wonder if this would work for kids (laughs) I would like to go to now, you've touched on positive reinforcement, but could you um, summarize your training approach or your philosophy with horses?
1: Um, Yeah, so Harmony Horsemanship is all about learning to understand yourself, your horse and that language that connects you. So learning about yourself in terms of your energy, your body movements, your horse in terms of their energy, their body movements, what their signals mean and then how your bodies and energies interact together and understanding how we can get that language to work. And one of the things that kind of really sets Harmony Horsemanship different from a lot of programs is we teach self-regulation to horses or emotional control to horses. So we have a whole section of our program called Calm Connection. And Calm Connection, you're not really teaching your horse anything in particular. It's not like you're teaching your horse how to go sideways or carry a frame or anything like that. It's literally exercises that are based on patterns that horses do with themselves out in the field. And they're just patterns that you do to establish moving together and establish that passive leadership through movement, which is what horses do when you put them into a space, they're going to establish that leadership role and that calmness where they can move together like a school of fish through movement and rhythm. And so it's that kind of piece. And the idea of recognizing that You can't teach a horse anything unless they feel calm and connected to you or get into that learning frame of mind. And that comes from my public health background and mental health. In schools, we teach it as finding calm alert, or they have little color zones of green, red, and yellow. And if you're in the red zone, you're too energetic and you can't learn because your mind is going a mile a minute. And if you're yellow, you're like falling asleep and you can't learn because your energy is too low. And so you have to find that happy medium where you're calm enough that you can uh, not overreact to stimulus and yet alert enough that you're going to pick up on those cues. So we teach people how to do that with their horses and then move into teaching them the, the pieces of the language.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And that, it's totally relatable to students because, you know, I know in myself sometimes, you know, if I'm too sleepy or um, I'm overreactive and kind of hyper and want to move around, it's very hard to learn in those states. You kind of need that that level of relaxation, but that level of kind of arousal, I guess, as well.
1: Yeah, Mm exactly.
0: And what do you think makes a happy horse?
1: Oh, goodness. I think it's going to depend on the horse. (laughs) Um, A happy horse depends on, they're all different. It all depends on what they like and they enjoy. So I think a happy horse is a horse that's listened to, a horse that gets to have some say in how they live and what they do for their life. Because sometimes people think that a horse wants to just live in a pasture and do, you know, be like a pasture pet. And oh, isn't that horse so lucky? It's just a companion horse. But there's a lot of horses that love having a purpose and they're healthier when they're, when they're working, so to speak, when they're walking and they're, they're doing things. So, and I've got some horses that I've sold as dressage horses because they just, they enjoy contact. They enjoy that forward movement and coming up into your hand. And then I've got horses who hate that. And they love doing the obstacles and the trails. And so then I find them trail and pleasure home. So uh, a happy horse, I think, is one that's just listened to.
0: Mm, That's really cool. A happy horse is one that is listened to. And I do think that horses in their own way tell us what they do and they don't like in terms of, um, especially when it comes to riding tasks or disciplines as such. So that's cool that you sort of match the horse to what you think, or to the owner in terms of what discipline they'd be suited for. And can you tell us who have been your most influential mentors with horses?
1: Yeah, um, so my first mentor who has since uh, passed away, Gary Combrey, he was the first natural horseman that I kind of followed. And he was the first one that kind of made me start thinking, you know, why do I do things the way that I was doing them and really challenged, challenged me because I started off very very rough with horses. Like we used Kimberwick bits and yanked on them. If they didn't stop, we put a stronger bit in, we would tie their heads down. Like we did horrible things that when I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. And it was Gary who really started me to think, well, why, why are you doing that? And then after he passed away, I kind of stumbled around with some other people, but the two women that really changed what I thought was possible with horses, one was uh, Elsa Sinclair, and she did a documentary called Taming Wild, where she spent an entire year to tame a Mustang to ride using nothing. And that's where I got the idea of doing the Liberty Restart was like, really, is this possible? And uh, so she's really, really cool in that she does everything totally with nothing. She doesn't even use positive reinforcement, but it just takes significantly longer. So like when I change a horse, train a horse for a Mustang challenge, I have 90 days. I don't have an entire year. So but it she's inspired a lot of that idea of giving the horse more more choice and then Emma Massingale is another one along the same idea she did a documentary called The Island Project and she took two trained ponies and two untrained ponies to an 80 acre island and trained her untrained ponies to ride using um she didn't use a halter or anything i think she had a little dressage whip with her to help guide cues and whatnot but that idea of giving the horse 80 acres to roam on While training means that you have to really put that partnership first because your horse, if they don't like you, they can really run and good luck finding them on 80 acres and and going to get them. So that idea of, you know, really trying to get your horse to want to be around you and putting that as um, a big piece of what you're doing. And at the end of the nine, I think it was 90 days, maybe even 30 days or 90 days, she had the horse riding at the walk, which was really, really cool. And then uh, I think when you just add an even more positive reinforcement, it just speeds that whole process up a lot more, which for me being a nurse and being a mom and everything else, uh, I try to sell people on positive reinforcement that are reluctant to it. I'm like, look, it will, it will cut things like well in half of the time that you need to train it uh, if you can find the right motivator. So uh, those, those women definitely inspiring to me for sure.
0: Yeah, and for me, I've heard of Elsa's story I've watched the documentary and I'm just like how is it possible to train a horse without really anything like that is a whole other level and it's very inspiring
1: mm-hmm. but as you Definitely. say
0: there are tools that speed up the process a little bit for you know the everyday equestrian that needs to kind of get stuff done quicker
1: yeah and I guess it's like a balance of speeding things up to suit your goals but not to the point that you're compromising the the relationship so Um, absolutely yeah very very cool learning for sure
0: and on the relationship um the fact that you compete a lot of people sort of struggle to work out how they can balance their partnership with their horse but also compete what are some tips you have around that
1: so i'm kind of lucky because i do the thoroughbred makeovers and the mustang makeovers are kind of the two main competitions that i do And I really get to choose what my horses are well-suited for. So over the last many years that I've competed in the thoroughbred makeover, you get to choose two disciplines. And so I've done freestyle, I've done ranch, I've done field hunter, I've done trail. So I've done a wide range of things. And I really let my horses choose what they're going to be well-suited for. So I think I've competed in field hunter three times because I had horses that were really good at jumping and enjoyed jumping. And then... You know, I even did ranch, which I'd never done cow cutting before, but my horse was awesome. She was really, really good. And all of my horses have all made the finals at the Thoroughbred Maker, where every single one has the top three uh place finishing. So it definitely works. And uh, I think all of my horses have made top three of all of their disciplines, except for two horses. I had one that had a sixth and one that had a 10. I think otherwise, oh, and I had two fourths. So they they really do like it, really does work. And that's I'm not sure how many horses now. And then Mustangs, same kind of thing. Um, You have your standard skills that you have to do, your handling class, pick up their feet, load them on a the trailer, that kind of stuff. But for your freestyle routine, you really get to pick whatever you want to do. So I really get to choose what's my horse well suited for. So sometimes I have a big jump because the horse is good at jumping. And then sometimes I don't have a jump because they're not good at jumping. And instead we do other things. We have a pedestal or we have a ball that we play with and, and try to really showcase their strengths. Amazing.
0: So, yeah, it sounds like, first of all, you've had so much success in those competitions and perhaps a part of that is actually choosing things that the horse actually enjoys rather than Mm -hmm. thinking it's a trade-off between competing and partnership. Really cool. And before we spoke about your mentors, do you have anyone now who coaches you or who inspires you? Who do you look up to now?
1: Um, so right now, mostly I just swap lessons with um, Belinda from the dressage team, and that's really fun because she's helping me with my upper level movements. My third red mare, she just offered tempi changes for the first time the other day, which is super exciting. I was really excited. So, um, so she's helping me learn some of those higher level movements to give me a, a higher level of finesse, and then I'm helping her with the, the bomb proofing and the. the the confidence building, all those types of pieces with some of her up and coming hopeful horses. So that's, yeah, been yeah. a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. And I think our listeners who have thoroughbreds will be happy to hear that you're training thoroughbreds to a high level, even a high level of dressage, because often, you know, it's said that you can only do dressage on a warm blood. So, yeah, that's that hilarious. is incredible. And do you
1: think thoroughbreds are well suited to dressage? I think it depends on the thoroughbred. I've got some <laughs> that have been very, very good. And Lissy's very, the one, she's my horse that won the mega makeover just this past October. She's very athletic and she likes doing some of those types of things. So she's pretty good at it and she's good at jumping. And then I've definitely got some other thoroughbreds over the years that are built a little more downhill or um just don't kind of seem to enjoy that way of moving as much it's just harder for them so I don't know they're all different yeah I think
0: it sounds like a theme of this podcast is it depends on the horse (laughs) and a lot of so many experienced and well-respected horse trainers that's often their answer you know like it depends
1: Mm -hmm. and I think the world would be a lot happier for both humans and horses if instead of trying to make a horse fit what you think that they're going to be good at, if instead you find a horse that naturally wants to do what you want to do and everybody would just be a lot happier, a lot safer too.
0: Yeah. So do you think that perhaps some horses are kind of forced to fit the mold in a way and they don't really Mm -hmm. want to do that activity or discipline or they're not really into that kind of training style or whatever it might be? Is that something you've seen?
1: Definitely, um, I've seen horses that don't like jumping that are kind of pushed to jump or they'd be a lot happier as a dressage horse or I've seen horses be pushed to be dressage horses that just hate carrying a fair bit of contact and they much prefer to go on a looser rein or, um, or even be bitless. And so they do better, even if they made the switch from English dressage to Western dressage, which allows bitless, that horse could be significantly more successful rather than trying to make them, you know, enjoy the double bridle and all those kinds of things. Uh, You can do it over time, you can train them and you can help them enjoy something that they're not well suited to but you're always going to have to balance it with other things. And uh, life would go a lot easier for both of you if you just picked a horse that wanted to do the discipline that you want to do for sure.
0: Yeah. And it sort of reminds me of, well, us humans in a way. Imagine taking someone who's really creative and artsy and training them to be an accountant. Like, sure, you can do it, but that person's still going to be like, but I really want to be painting over here. Um, So hopefully people can relate. Do you have any favorite horse books, podcasts or resources?
1: that I like to go to, um, I like to just kind of generally scroll on um, YouTube, I'll find different people on YouTube, sometimes I'll watch things there, and not really anybody in particular, um, I listen to horses in the morning sometimes, but um, I don't know, I don't really have anything in particular, I think between having the, the kids, the job, and the horses, I, I don't get a ton of time to actually soak in so it's more when i go to the big expos like i'm coming up to the horse world expo in pennsylvania i'll be there in march and so that will be my time to go sit and watch some other demos and kind of take a few things in um i don't know i'm not super creative on that one for an answer
0: but hey, you've got a super busy life. So I'm sure if you had more time, you'd find other things to to fill that time with. But I think those big expos would be um, very educational and good to connect with other trainers and watch what other trainers are doing. Can you let us know what has been your best horse-related purchase in the last 12 months?
1: Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. I don't know. Um, I recently actually switched all of my lesson horses over to smart saddles which are treeless English saddles and um, the reason for that is the horses backs you know they change so much because we ride them less in the winter time we ride them more in the summertime so we were having saddle fitters come out twice a year and then our favorite saddle fitter um, she ended up getting pregnant and needing to go off so we didn't have her and it's hard to find a saddle fitter that you like and uh, we were always having issues with you know, this would start to rub or whatnot. So when I found out about these smart saddles, or they're called solution saddles, they're treeless saddles that have weight distribution panels. They have um, they have like leather trees. So they're, they have some shape to them. You can still mount from the ground. They don't feel like you're riding in a big bareback pad, but there's no uh, stiff parts. Everything's all movable. Everything flexes around the horse. And when we switched all of our lesson horses over to that, and I ride um, my horses in that, huge difference in our horses. They all, um, when the vet came out and looked at their backs and did their annual checkups, like nothing, no complaints whatsoever of the horses. Really, really good. Um, I still have um, some of my custom Western saddles because I compete in extreme cowboy racing as well. And for extreme cowboy racing, we have to do drags and uh, treeless saddles. You can't do a drag off of um, a horn of a treeless saddle for anything that's got a little bit of weight. So I still do some tree treed riding, but uh, definitely the treeless saddles has made a huge difference. Even when we're starting horses under saddle, you don't have to worry like, oh, am I hurting this horse? It's like, no, you, you know, you're not, you know, it's not pinching the horse. As long as you make sure the treeless saddle isn't sitting on the wither and it's just balanced, like it's not tipping forward or back, you're, you're golden. And, uh, and then it lets you know, okay, like, That's behavioral, like in terms of lack of confidence or lack of understanding and just helps a lot with everything. It's been really, really big game changer for sure.
0: Yeah, they sound awesome. I'll have to check them out. And I can imagine it would be tricky if you've got multiple lesson horses to have, you know, a few saddles that fit them all. It'd be really difficult, but it sounds like you have found a saddle that can sort of do that.
1: Yeah, there's, there's slightly different, like the wider ones are slightly the leather tree slightly different but yeah it's so it's so much easier and just gives you that peace of mind that the horse's backs are going to be okay and of course we pair them with the, the thin line saddle pads that have impact protection so then they also have that layer protection there as well so
0: cool it's so good to see that technology in saddles is evolving after so many years of them really being the same as what they have been for hundreds of years um can you Tell us what is your
1: ultimate goal with horses? Oh boy. <laughs> I don't know. I have so many dreams. I have so many dreams. There's so many things you can do with horses. So um, but I'm also very fortunate that I've I've knocked many things off of my my bucket list already. So what's left to knock off of my bucket list? I want to ride proper tempe changes. Um, because I rode some the other day, but they weren't. You know, we were a little late in our hind end and stuff. So I want to ride nice, clean changes that I taught my horse how to do, not just sitting on somebody else's horse and and teaching me. And I don't know. That's kind of the big goal I'm working on right now. Yeah. I don't know what to do.
0: Well, tell us about, I mean, you've already mentioned some of the incredible achievements that you've had so far, but are there others on your bucket list that you haven't mentioned? Uh,
1: There's there's things that, um, I mean, ones that I've already accomplished. Yes. Yeah. So, a big one, um my horses have been in several movies. Oh, wow. And when we filmed Yeah. So when we filmed Unbridled, we actually had to do a lot of liberty and stunt scenes. So my horses had to do things like and producers are kind of funny because they don't really understand horses. So I'll never forget one day we're going out to film and he the director comes up with this idea. He's like, "All right, Lindsay, I've got it." So the actress is going to sit on that log over there and Dreamer is going to be in the field and he needs to come over to her when she comes in and sits down and he's to walk up to her and then she's going to stand up on the log and then he needs to rotate into position so she can get on. And we're going to film this as a wide shot. So you're going to be about 50 feet away. And uh, so we're going to get set up for the shot. Now we've got about 30 minutes while we set up to, to make sure he knows what he's doing. And I'm like, all right. Oh my goodness. Not asking for much. <laughs> Yeah, no, we get it done. And that, I mean, that's so cool because you get challenged to do things that are just really unique and different. So that's been fun. Or um, we got asked to go on live TV for breakfast television in Toronto, which is downtown in the city. And so we did Liberty on live television, weaving through fountains with absolutely no barriers, no nothing, just literally my horse loose in the middle of Toronto city weaving through fountains that, you know, spray up and down. And so that was pretty cool. That's amazing. To be able to do that. Yeah. I don't know, lots of, lots of crazy things that we do with horses. Yeah.
0: So was Unbridled the name of the movie that one of your horses was in?
1: That's one of them. Yeah. So we did Unbridled. That's where we did a lot of, and when you watch the movie, everything looks so natural. Yeah. And everything looks so easy. And I'm like, that, that was so hard. Yeah, Uh, even like there's a scene near the end where he has to run like he's running through the woods and you might just think oh they're chasing him through the woods that's easy to get a horse to do and I'm like no I had to get my horse and take him and show him the path and then had like 40 minutes to train the scene and we had to release him at the edge of uh, a forest and he had to run through probably about 200 feet of grass make a turn and go up a hill and go across a road like he had to know his mark it wasn't just like oh he's running through the forest I'm like no that was trained uh and in the wow. movie it just looks so easy and natural which is the goal but yeah they've done a few a few films um autumn stables is a really cute family movie that's um a really good one to watch and you know you have to do movie things like the horses are just standing in a grass field saddled ready waiting for their riders to get on not eating the grass just standing there waiting and so like things like that that are really hard to train and producers and directors don't necessarily understand they just expect it to happen and and we do we get it done and it's and it's awesome it's just really really fun
0: yeah that would be so much fun and I'm that person who whenever I'm watching a movie with or a tv series with horses I'm like what gear are they using like is there any trainer in the background is that a stunt rider like I'm always analyzing my husband's like what are you doing just watch the movie (laughs) can't help it. it
1: Interesting. In Autumn Stables, um, all of my horses ride bitless because uh, we teach a lot of beginners at our farm, and I just don't like um, the idea of people learning to ride and playing on my horses' sensitive mouths. So they're all bitless, and so we go to the movie shoot, and my horses are bitless through all the scenes. And then we get to a, a day where we do the stunt ride, and so there's a stunt rider that comes in to do the galloping scene across the um, the laneways. And the girl, she's normally like a barrel race rider. That's how she kind of does her stunts. And she's like, I'm riding this thoroughbred bitless. And I'm like, well, continuity, we can't change it now to a bit. Um, but it, it worked out fine. she I mean, she was a great rider. The horse was really well trained. So it was all really, really well done. But uh, yeah, it's all bitless. So you can see bitless in uh, Autumn Stables, which reminds me of another really cool memory of I got asked to do the TSN sports commercial for the football team so I actually got to ride my horse across the football stadium which was super cool and then I got all the cheerleaders to help them did a little line dance together it was so much fun
0: that's so cool and I bet it would would have been nice to ride across that beautiful surface as well
1: (laughs) yes yes to canter like to go gallop across it was just like woohoo
0: it's like every horse girl's dream to ride on the perfectly manicured golf course or football oval (laughs) or whatever it might be
1: Exactly, and I'm like, and I didn't do it illegally. I got to do it. Yeah, <laughs> right? you paid for it. <laughs> so yeah, exactly.
0: It only just hit me. You are a mum. You're a full time nurse. You have these online programs for people all over the world. You have a horse riding school as well.
1: Yes. <laughs> How do you fit
0: all of that in?
1: You, you have to learn to trust people. And I've definitely been burned in the past. I've definitely had relationships where I've been taken advantage of. and uh, But you have to learn to open your heart, trust people, guide them, and show them your passion. And if you show them your passion, then then they'll often come along with you. So I have an amazing barn manager at home who is um, managing everything with the horses. We have a team of great coaches that do the lessons. Um, I only teach like a couple lessons a week when I'm at home in Canada. Mostly it's all the other coaches and Uh, We do little powwows every now and again to kind of keep team spirit and share ideas of what we're doing. And, and then for Harmony Horsemanship, I have a great staff, Clarissa and Aaron, they're absolutely fantastic and they manage uh, a lot of the social media and all the sales and everything. So you need that. You can't do it yourself. You need a, you need a team. Of course there's my husband and uh, my family as well that helps out with the, the girls. And so you, you need, you need help. That's for sure. You need a team.
0: Amazing. And it sounds like you must really love nursing because with all of the rest going on, you probably, by the sounds of things could just do the horse business, but you, you've decided to continue nursing as well. Do you really have a passion for nursing?
1: It's, um, it's definitely been a part of who I am and it's helped the me with the horses in terms of the mental health because of the type of nursing that I do. It's taught me about that emotional control, that resiliency, all of those p- pieces that I can bring into the horse aspect, and uh, I think it's good to sometimes have something that you do outside of horses just to kind of keep you in a real life um, in a real life scenario. And I did drop down to half time nursing for a while, and uh, and then now I'm on mat leave because my kids. So in Canada you get a year and a half maternity leave.
0: Amazing. Nice. So,
1: so then I kind of go back to nursing for a little bit, and then I go off for a bit, and then. So we'll see what happens once I'm done having kids, because it's definitely a lot to juggle. But I, uh, I definitely like to have my hand in many hats, so to speak. Yeah,
0: it sounds like it sounds like you're the sort of person that likes to keep busy as well.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. We go on vacation and my husband's like, can't we just sit on the beach? I'm like, no, I've booked us a rainforest <laughs> tour today and tomorrow we're going snorkeling. And then the next day <laughs> so we, got, we got to see it all while we're here.
0: That sounds like my kind of vacation, to be honest. (laughs) I'm I'm always on the go, like wanting to book tours and go scuba diving and do all the activities because I'm like, we've only got five days. Let's make the most of it. (laughs) Exactly. So what advice would you give a 12-year-old aspiring to be like you?
1: Mm. Uh, To trust your gut, to know that um, when you're being kind, really put kindness first and to just trust, because sometimes people are going to judge you, they're going to doubt you, and you might doubt yourself, but just trust your gut and uh, really find those people that are going to be supportive in a kind way and and latch on to those people. And anybody who's negative or pushing you down, um, it's not your job to try to change them, so just let it go. Just let it go and and surround yourself with people who are going to help give you joy.
0: That's a beautiful message. Have you had much negative feedback in your professions. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and you you grow a lot over the years too, for sure. Um, you know, I think when you discover something new, you can you can tend to be judgmental if you're not careful because you're like, well, I, I discovered this thing over here and it works really well. And so you should do it like this. And I think um over the years, like somebody who did a clinic with me in 2015, if they were to do another clinic with me now, they would see a different side of me because as I travel and I teach more people, I've discovered, oh, okay, like you can also apply that concept like that, or you can also apply it like that. So I've learned so much more. And as long as we keep our mind open to learning then um, and, and open to change, then we'll just keep growing and it will get better and it'll get better. But, you know, you definitely, you can you could think you know it all. And that's when you're going to run into to trouble. And I definitely went through a phase. I'm, uh, I don't have too big of an ego to admit that after I won the makeover in 2015, and my horses were in movies, and I won 2016, two titles and whatever, you know, you get thinking that you're pretty good at all this, and people should listen to you. And, and sometimes you need somebody to just kind of say to you, like, you know, you don't make me want to learn from you. And then you really have to listen and, uh, and change. But you almost have to sometimes go, for me, I had to go full circle of, you know, sitting back for so long, um, just trying to please people to then being really confident And it's because I was proud of myself. And that's where it was coming from it was a place of just feeling really proud. But then it could come off a little bit cocky. And then um, realizing that, you know, there's so much more to learn, which you know, you always know that, but sometimes you just need to be reminded that there's so many other great things that everybody else is doing out there. And we just all need to celebrate each other. I mean, it was like a really long winded way of answering that question. <laughs> right, that's
0: awesome. And what I'm really gathering from you, Lindsay, is you just seem like a really centered person who doesn't have a lot of negative judgment like you seem really balanced and you're open-minded like you say you're open to learning new things and i think that's a really nice place to be in especially when sometimes it can feel like the equestrian community especially on social media is very judgmental there's a lot of negative comments being thrown around a lot of finger pointing so it's really refreshing to hear you speak in this way
1: Mm -hmm. the delete the delete button is very powerful (laughs) move on because uh, it's so it's so easy to get sucked into trying to defend your actions or things like that and um if it's upsetting you move on or um if you really need to then then try to just ask why
0: where can our listeners find out more about you and what you offer
1: uh you can check out our website dot com or my personal site is lindsaypartridge.com because harmony horsemanship actually has several certified instructors from all over world that are on it so it's not just uh, me and then lindsay partridge is my individual site and we're on youtube i have a harmony horsemanship channel on youtube or you can follow me on facebook instagram tiktok it's new for me so we're doing that too wow
0: lindsay i'm just i'm in awe of everything that you've achieved and continue to achieve it's very inspiring so Thank you again for coming on to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. I really enjoyed speaking with you and I hope we can connect again sometime in the future.
1: That'd be awesome. I've loved chatting with you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit the follow button so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or screenshot this episode and share it on social media. You can connect with me on Instagram at amalia underscore horses or my website amaliadempsey.com where you can find free resources to help you on your horsemanship journey. That's all for today. Thanks for being here. Remember to train with kindness and ride with excellence and I'll see you in the next episode.